All right, I'm going to go ahead and introduce Aaron. I hate to cut into his time. Uh, you know, somebody made an observation earlier that you would probably never have crossed paths with such a person if it wasn't for uh, the fact that it was uh, the Lord and His work. And I think that is definitely true in my life and Aaron Gallagher because he he chose some weird, nerdy uh, profession like automation laboratory. laboratory. Who does that? <laughs> I mean, well, I'm not even sure I know what that means, but it certainly wasn't my life track um, to go into that. But Aaron, uh, he graduated with a degree in biology, but... In 2018, he got an opportunity to work with GBN, Gospel Broadcasting Network. If you were here yesterday, um, you heard Aaron talk a little bit about GBN and the good work it is doing. Um, in some ways, giving him a few minutes wasn't really fair because uh, Global Broadcasting Network is truly just that. And GBN is uh, the brainchild of some brethren that recognized that there was a void in the brotherhood as far as good programming that would be available in different places. And um, uh, Aaron has been a, a real vital part of GBN, and I, I know that... Um, uh, the partnership that we've had together, and he told uh, just one story of how uh, we've been able to partner together, and I know that he's called Keith on, uh, a lot on trying to uh, get connected with people, but Aaron does a lot of evangelism. It's not one of those jobs where you are kind of sitting behind a computer and um, he's talking to people, he's studying with people, uh, they're connecting with him, he's answering Bible questions that are coming from all over the United States and all over the world, and uh, he's very well equipped to do exactly that, and it really seems like it's a, a really good fit with uh, Aaron's love for the Lord and his skill set and uh, appreciate him so much and admire him and the good work that he does. Uh, he's married to Jamie. They have uh, one daughter. How old is your daughter? 18 months. 18 months. So uh, Evelyn is her name. And uh, so uh, without any uh, further delay, Aaron, come preach to us. Preach the word. Preach the word. All right, thank you all for being here. So uh, the topic that uh, we're going to do today is seeing God's power today. Um, I think when we think about God's power, what's what's the first thing normally comes to mind? The miraculous, exactly. And so I think a lot of times, you know, maybe the Lord's Church gets a bad rap when you talk to people. Because, you know, for instance, recently on the podcast, we did an episode on miraculous gifts. And you probably wouldn't be surprised with how many messages we started getting from people that disagreed with us, right? But when we think about God's power throughout the 1,189 chapters of the Bible, 
you think all the way back in Genesis. What, what are some of the miracles in Genesis? You've got the biggest one, which is what? Creation. Creation. Yeah, then the flood. Okay. You've got the Tower of Babel. So, I mean, think about some of this. Sometimes we think the Tower of Babel, he just scattered the people, right? What did he change? Their what? Language. Their language, right? I mean, think about God's power. You know how much it... I mean, you, some of you that have learned foreign languages, is it super easy to pick up a second language? Like Greek or Hebrew? You know, you just sit down a couple for a couple hours and you just learn it, right? Think about a being that has the mind that can... He, he didn't practice. God didn't practice creation, right? God didn't create a thousand universes and say, well, oh, I put the sun a little too far from the earth in this one, and so when I do it again, I'm going to try and, and make them closer, right? Think about Babel. How much knowledge do you have to have to instantaneously create languages and then impart that knowledge into people's brains as you spread them across the earth? I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, I kind of think of that one, raining down fire is probably pretty easy for God. I guess everything's easy for God. Uh, what are some of the other miracles? In Exodus, Tyler did an incredible job talking about how the ten plagues were terrifying, right? They weren't, you know, we have a couple little frogs that live around our house, and so we have a French bulldog. And every night when it gets dark, she goes over and hits the blinds with her nose to the door because she wants to go out and look for this little frog, right? And if she get, if she goes out and sees it, she wants to paw at it, okay? That's not what the plagues were. Tyler talked about that. They were terrifying, right? Then they go and they part a massive sea. God parts a sea. Can you imagine walking through that? How high do you think the waters were? Like buildings? Maybe you ever been in New York City? I was in New York City for work once with my laboratory automation job. And um, it, it was when you had the old school GPSs, not like on my phone. And my GPS literally uh, it said, are you indoors? It lost signal because the buildings were so tall. It didn't get a signal. I mean, imagine walking through that. I mean, what are some of the other ones? What about the brazen serpent? Right? Would that be crazy? Look on this serpent and you're going to save you from this plague. Uh, water from a rock. Not just a little bit of water. If you've seen what they think potentially could be the site, it was a whole lot of water. I mean, after all, I had to, to give enough people. How many people were there? Millions, right? Maybe? Right. So you, you look through Exodus. We could go through the whole Bible, right? You could look in the prophets raising the widow of Zarephath's son from the dead, right? The, the chariots of fire, the whirlwind. I mean, the Bible's full of miracles. I looked up a, a list really quickly on Google. It's probably not accurate because I'm sure the person maybe had one or two, but they had like 87 miracles that they listed in the Old Testament, which I'm sure there are more. They had 80-some in the New Testament. And what about the New Testament? Jesus did what? He showed his power over demons, right? He showed his power over nature. He calmed a storm, right? In that story, it always uh, interests me, uh, I think it's in Mark 6, where it says they were in the middle of the sea, right? How The sea is what, six miles wide? Is that sea six miles wide? And it says Jesus. they were in the middle of the sea and Jesus did what? He looked and saw them and they were struggling against the waves in the middle of a what? Storm? You think it was clear? You think he just had a clear three mile? I mean, there's so many things that Jesus did that were incredible and miraculous. Um, he, he healed a withered man. That's one of my favorite miracles. You know, he's got, he's, hey, show me your hand. You know, and it's, it heals the withered hand. Jesus did so many miracles. And so I think when we think sometimes of God's power, we think, well, at least some people think, if he's not doing miracles today, then what? Some people think he's not working, right? Now, God's got the power to do as many miracles as he wanted, but, you know, when I first started my manuscript, you know, I knew it was 8 to 12 pages, right? And the first manuscript I wrote was 20. And so I felt a little bad about that. 
So when I started the next one, I thought, I want to do God's power today. I want to talk about providence, God's power and providence. I want to talk about God's power in the human body and His creation of you know humans and angels. And then I want to talk about God's power in the solar system. So I started with God's power in the solar system and was eight pages in and realized that I was in trouble. So we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about the solar system uh, today. But before we get into that, providence... Uh, I personally think that it takes more power for God to work providentially than miraculously. That, that's just how I feel. I mean, for instance, let's say um, let's say you have I'm trying to think of a good example. Okay, Esther, right? Story of Esther, right? Is there providence involved in that story? Yeah, just a little bit, right? You have the king of Persia, uh, king of uh, Persia, and he he puts his wife away because she won't da- dance for his men, and so. God orchestrates this whole process to bring Esther up to do what? Save the people? And saving the people from what? Annihilation? And who's the Messiah supposed to come through? Right? Would would it have been easier for God to just wait till Haman had his plan and kill Haman? I think it would. I mean, God can work in so many different ways. Uh, Providentially, God has so much power. Um, What about God creating angels? All right. I think angels are... I wish I could know way more about them. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament? The power of a being that could create something as powerful as an angel. You remember when um, Assyria had come right down through Palestine and was wiping out everybody in their way? And in 2 Kings 19, they come to Jerusalem, and Sennacherib's uh, Rabshakeh, one of the leaders, he's doing what? He's speaking to the people in their language, right? And he basically says, no one else's God stopped us. You think your God's going to stop us? And then what does God do? He sends what? It says the angel of the Lord. Now, maybe, I don't know if that's the pre-incarnate Christ like in other places or if it's just an angel there. But it killed how many people? 185,000. Don't worry, hundred. that's close enough. Right? Yeah. No, I don't expect you to get it perfect, right? I looked it up before I came. So. 185,000 people in one night, right? Do you remember what Jesus said when Peter pulled the sword in the Garden of Gethsemane? Peter pulls his sword and he cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus picks up, well, then say he picks up, because he heals his ear, right? I told, I said that in a podcast, he picked up his ear and somebody messaged me, where did that come from that he picked it up? I said, uh, well, I don't know, but he healed it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm careful. Now I'm very conscious about that miracle when I talk about it. Um, but he says, Peter, don't you know that I could call to my father and call, I could ask my father to send what? Twelve legions. More than twelve legions. You know, we sang the song this morning, he could have called 10,000 angels. And I was thinking, he could have called more than 12 legions of angels. I thought, that doesn't go as well, right? That doesn't sound as good. That's probably why the song, the writer, went to 10,000. But a legion's what? I've read different numbers. Let's say 5,000 for a legion. Five, 6,000? What do you think? 6,000? So let's say 6,000, okay? 6,000 legions. 6,000 per legion times 12 is what? 72,000 angels? How much damage could 72,000 angels do? It's more than the world's population. I know 60,000 angels is 11 million. If you put the, the 185,000 per angel. So it's basically God could wipe out the whole population at any point in time, right? You know? God has that much power. It's pretty incredible. What about the brain? This is a quote that Carl Sagan said. Carl Sagan's not a Christian. He said, The information content of the human brain expressed in bits is probably comparable to the number of connections, yada yada, all this fancy smart guy language. But he says, If written out in English, the information in your brain would fill 20 million volumes, 
As many as in the world's largest libraries, the equivalent of 20 million books is inside the heads of every one of us. And some of you are thinking, well, maybe not all of us. <laughs> <laughs> then there's other people you think, well, he's probably got more than 20 million books in him. Is that not a lot of information? 20 million books that you've got in your brain? That's what the brain looks like. What do you think this is? Hey, who said that? Who said the galaxy? Good job. Smart. All right. It looks like what, though? Doesn't it kind of look like a neuron? This is actually from a science article that I read where these scientists who were evolutionists, they were talking about, isn't it amazing that the Big Bang produced all these things that are so similar? And it was talking about this string of galaxies and this uh, neuron in the brain. I mean, to me, they have a common what? Creator. Common creator. It makes sense to me, right? If you look, your brain, you have 80 billion neurons, 100 trillion connections. You, you know, when you have numbers like that, you really can't put it in perspective, right? Whether you say 1 trillion or 100 trillion doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. Um, that's the, the comparison of a, it's called a hippocampal neuron, and that's clusters of galaxies. I think this one's neat. It's the crescent nebula. Do you know what they also call it? They say it looks like a what? It looks like a brain, doesn't it? Probably harder for some of you over here to see it, but it looks like a brain. Okay. There's a story uh, that I heard about a French, uh, a French non-believer. The article said he was an infidel. It's not a word we use all that much, but um, he said to this this Christian, he said, "We're going to destroy your churches. We're going to destroy all your images. We're going to burn down your buildings. We're going to burn your Bibles." And you know, his response was, "But you'll leave us the stars." He said, you can destroy every single thing that you want to on this earth, but you know what you can't take away from us? You can't take away the stars from us. Uh, there's another quote, you know, Napoleon. Napoleon was said to be sailing on the Mediterranean Sea with uh, some of his men, and they were unbelievers, and they were just, you know, jabbering back and forth about how there's no God, and, and you know, uh, Napoleon walked over and listened for a little bit, and then he said, uh, but gentlemen, who, who made these? And the story is that the men just hush, quiet. There's something about the galaxy that is uh, it's mind-blowing. I want to show you, this is, the, this is the galaxy we live in. Anyone know what it is? It's a candy bar? <laughs> Milky Way. Okay. What's the one say? 100 grand or something? <laughs> the Milky Way galaxy. Okay. This is the Milky Way galaxy. All right. Now, this is where we are. It's a spiral galaxy. Okay. You see that real bright uh, image there in the middle? Okay. I feel really bad for you. Can you? You can't see it? Okay. You can see it. Okay. I can see the back of you. Okay. Good. All right. <laughs> you don't look so, like a galaxy. <laughs> now, this, if you were to go and look up, do you see? This is from Earth, right? This little laser beam takes you up to the very center of the Milky Way galaxy, right? So in this perspective, you're looking into, like, across the galaxy, the spiral galaxy. And that's where you are. Uh, anyone have a guess of how wide the galaxy would be? Uh, I'll give you, uh, it's in light years. And a one light year is six trillion miles. It's 100,000. Our galaxy is 100,000. <laughs> light years wide. Uh, a light year, six trillion miles, basically means just like it says, the, the amount of, di the distance that a uh, light can travel in one year. Um, light travels at 186,000 miles per what? Second. second. Yeah, not hour. Miles per second, right? So um, do you know how many times the uh, speed of light, how many times light can go around the earth in one second? Seven and a half times. So if you said, if this was light, all right, and we we're going to set him free, and we said, go, one Mississippi, he just went around the world seven and a half times. 
Isn't that crazy how fast light can travel? And so if you wanted to go across our galaxy, it would take you 100,000 light years to get across it. It's pretty wild. This is another article that I found. It's, it was another article by maybe National Geographic where it was talking about it's amazing how the Big Bang created uh, us and our solar system in such a protected place in the Milky Way galaxy. These are all numbers, and it talks about the halo, and these. this is 12, 13, 11 different things. The sun offers protection from galactic debris. It talks about how all of the, the place we are in the solar system, all the things that are around us, the way it's arranged, protects our solar system. You know, asteroid belts protecting our, our planet and solar system. And they just attribute it to chance, right? This is our galaxy, 100,000 light years across. And we're one of the big ones, right? No. I mean, I don't even know. This one is, I can't see, it's like, it's like 50 million maybe light years across. I don't know how they measure this stuff when it gets to this point, right? But how massive is that? It's, a, it's incredible that God has the power to create that. Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 says, starting in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. He says, I look at the stars and I'm just blown away at how incredible it is. Look at the next thing he says. What is man that you're mindful of him? You know, I don't know if any of you like Avengers in here, right? I like the Avengers. And there's a quote where uh, Loki said, what, does, what quarrel does an ant have with a boot? <laughs> because he's saying, look, he's a boot. He's going to stomp an ant. Uh-huh. Do you understand that in that analogy, we're not even, that doesn't even, that that pales in comparison, right? A boot and an ant, right? We are so much smaller than that. The power that God has, right? The power that God has, He speaks this universe, not just the solar system. If He spoke earth into existence, I mean, I built a table once, right? (laughs) And I was super proud of it, right? But I mean, to speak a universe into existence, what kind of what kind of knowledge does that take? And not only the power to speak into existence, but to order everything. I mean, you go outside and you look at each one of these trees, and you think about the knowledge it takes for the genetics. When he created it 6,000 years ago, he creates it with the genetics for it to reproduce on its own in different climates continually until basically it goes extinct until the Lord returns. I mean, the amount of knowledge that a being like that has is just, it's just incredible. You know, when we think about this... Uh, the sun seems pretty big to us, right? To us, it's massive, right? If uh, if the earth was a grain of sand, the sun would be about the size of a pool ball, right? Now, this is a star that is much, much, much larger. This is how big our sun is compared to this, this uh, star. It's 1,500 times uh, larger than our sun. Um, it says our scale. I want to I do something. Um, let me find my grain of sand. Okay. I had to put it up here so I didn't lose it. I need to, uh, okay, I want to volunteer. You want to volunteer? Let's see. You, you might be, I don't know if you're far enough away. Hold on. Okay. So if the earth is a grain of sand, the sun is uh, 20 feet away. All right, so, let's see, let's see. Three. All right. You did earth. Okay. <laughs> so that's the earth. This is the sun. 20 feet away, if you have this... Now, this scale in real life is 93 million miles, right? You know how little you are if the Earth is a grain of sand? (laughs) You know, when I think about people vying for property and all this, this sort of makes it... When I think about this, it sort of makes it sort of pointless, doesn't it? (laughs) 
the fact that it's that small, I mean, and you can imagine if the Earth's a grain of sand, the, the Earth is 8,000 miles in diameter, and the Sun is 860-some thousand miles in diameter, right? This is 1,500 times larger than our Sun. So you've got this. Okay, let's let's do some some uh, some math. If the moon, okay, so your Earth. So the moon. If you want to hold the moon up, the moon is a speck of dust. Uh, and it's it's 1.5 centimeters away, so about the width of your finger, right? So that's where the moon is. Okay, you might have to help him. Um, the sun is 20 feet away, the size of a pool ball. Who wants to be Pluto? Okay, Pluto, you're also a speck of dust, and I need you to go 762 feet that way. <laughs> that's two, two and a half football fields, right? And that's still in our what? In our solar system, yeah, and in our galaxy, right? Think about this one. Uh, the next closest star, okay? So when you look up in, in, the, in the sky, you'll see all kinds of stars, right? Different distances. The closest one to us... You're doing a great job, by the way. <laughs> is Proxima Centauri. It's 122,000 miles in diameter. So it's about one-sixth the size of the sun. Uh, and it would be the size of a grape. Now, uh, I had something the size of a grape. And I don't know how, but I, house, housekeeping didn't come into my hotel room once. And it disappeared. So I lost it. And I was looking for it all morning and all lunch break and I thought I finally found it under my couch and I got so excited and I scooted the couch out and it was a peanut M&M. <laughs> so I don't know where it went but I, so I picked up a rock outside. So this is going to be this is going to be Proxima Centauri. All right? So who wants to be Proxima Centauri? Okay, Louis, Proxima C, I'll get you involved. So now I just need you to hop on a plane and go to uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> or Memphis. You can ride the next closest star on our scale if you're the Earth and this is the sun is 977 miles away. On this little scale, right? That would be Los Angeles or Memphis. And the Milky Way galaxy would still be 30 million miles wide in this little scale. Isn't that crazy? The next closest star. You know what that means? That means when you go up and you look at a star, you can pick out which one you want. I have an app. Uh, it's called Skyview. And what it actually allows me to do is I can just look up and see. I don't know if you guys know Jeff Martin, but Jeff Martin knows the stars. And so whenever Jeff Martin and I are hanging out, it's sort of a little annoying because I'm like, what's that star, Jeff? I think it's... He's like, it's Jupiter. It's a planet. <laughs> he, he literally knows them because I went out to visit them in Alamosa. And he's like, what's the one thing you want to do while you're here? And I say, I want to see the stars. And he's like, great, I have a telescope. And so we went to his house. I don't know if anybody ever seen his telescope. And so I'm thinking he's going to have this little telescope, and he's got this big tube telescope, right? And he carried it outside, and we got to look up and see the craters on the moon. And the moon, I mean, I'm thinking, wow, how far? that's so far away. And it's what? 1.5 centimeters in our scale. I mean, the, the solar system is massive. When you go outside and you look up at the closest star that you'll find is four light years away, which means it's 24 trillion miles away. Doesn't it seem like it'd be closer? <laughs> to me, it does. This is one even bigger. This is called UI Scooty Scuddy. I don't know. I don't have an astronomy degree. so. Um, but this up here, there's this tiny little box, right? So if you were to zoom in, magnify that seven times, the sun is that little tiny dot, right? That's how big that star is. It's 1,700 times the width of our sun. Uh, the, the sun is, if you take the sun, right, and it takes 109 Earths to go across the diameter, right? This one, it takes 1,700 suns to get across that. Uh, one of these, I think it's, I think it's this one. Um, we talked about how fast uh, the speed of light is, right? Uh, it takes 
uh, one second for it to go around seven and a half times around the Earth. For the light to get around the equator of this, it takes eight hours. One time. I mean, these stars are massive, right? This is just some more pictures to try to, to try to relate how big these stars are. Here's your sun. You can't even see it unless you zoom in, okay, on the computer. And you have uh, Betelgeuse. Just I'm calling it Beetlejuice, right? I don't know. I'm calling it Beetlejuice. <laughs> okay, Beetlejuice. That's three times, well. So remember that one, because we're going to talk about that one in a second. But you see how massive these stars are compared to our sun? What kind of being has the power to just speak that into existence? God. God. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12 says, Who's measured the heavens with a span? God. <laughs> Isaiah 40, 26, Who brings their host out by number and calls them all by name? Okay. There's a, supposed to be 100 million uh, stars in the average galaxy. Okay. Now, we're not quite the average. In the Milky Way, there's 100 to 200 <laughs> billion stars. Every time I did this PowerPoint presentation, like I would work on it for a day or two and work on it again, every time I thought, that's a typo. It's got to be a million. And I'd get on Google, no, it's billion. Our galaxy has 100 to 200 billion stars in our galaxy. In 2012, uh, they compiled some evidence from the Hubble telescope in like 2003 and 2004, where they just took one tiny speck of the night sky and they exposed it for 50 days. And they found 5,500 galaxies, not stars, galaxies. In 2016, the Hubble telescope estimated 2 trillion galaxies. And then later they said, well, we were wrong. Now it's only hundreds of billions. Right? <laughs> to me, that's pretty much the same thing. I, I, it's, it's more than I could uh, ever imagine. They say if you hold up a grain of sand, right, if you hold up the earth, you're doing a good job. You can rest. Yeah, you can rest. Uh, the, the amount of uh, space it would cover could be up to 10,000 galaxies. I mean, we're, we're never... Why, why did God do all this? For what? His glory and to show us His power, right? Uh, this is... This, to me, is one of the proofs of inspiration. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 16, He talks about how He made the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and then He made the stars also. <laughs> then He could confirm this or deny it, but I think it's two words in Hebrew. And the stars. And the stars. If you did that, well, you know what I'd do? I'd have a book about as thick as the Bible talking about how great I was. <laughs> I'd list all the stars, the biggest ones, how far they were, and God just says, in the stars. I mean, the power that is incredible. This is one of the things that, um, that really gets me. Um, I told you that the closest star to us is four light years away, okay? Alpha Centauri, A and B, and Proxima Centauri, okay? You are going to be Proxima Centauri. Yeah, there you go. Still got to go to L.A. to be in scale, but you're not yet, okay? Um, Four light years away, which means, let's think about this. When you look at that star, if it's four light years away, you're seeing the light that left when? Four years ago, okay? Uh, When you look at the moon... Um, you see light that left there, I think, 1.3 seconds, 1.8 seconds ago or something like that. So if the moon were to explode, you'd see it 1.3 seconds later. If if Alpha Centauri or Proxima Centauri exploded, you'd see it four years later. So we could see it today. It may be gone already, but I'm, I'm a star expert. I don't know if it looked different. But the North Star, right? 323 light years away. So light left there when? Yeah, let's see if we got our math whizzes. 1698. So if you look up at the North Star, which I'm sure you you have, I looked at it last night, the light that I'm seeing tonight left in 1698, that was 75 years before the Declaration of Independence uh, and the Revolutionary War. 
Isn't that crazy? It's like literally a time machine. Um, it gets better. Remember I said that one Beetlejuice, right? Um, it's 640 light years away. These are all stars you can see with the naked eye, right? 640 light years away, which means the light you see tonight left in 1381. Um, Deneb is 1600 light years away. So the light you see left in 421 BC. Isn't that crazy? This one is cool. Kepler 160. 3,000 years, light years away. You know what I'm thinking? 1,000 years before Christ. Who wrote Psalm 8? The light you see when you look at Kepler 160 left around the time that David's writing Psalm 8. Isn't that cool? Cassiopeia, 4,000 light years away. Genesis 15.5, look towards the heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them, so shall your descendants be. Who wrote that? Moses wrote it, and he's talking about God speaking to who? Abraham, 4,000 light years away. When you look at Cassiopeia, which is not a star, but it's a, a, a group of stars, but basically whenever you look, the light that you see left when Abraham was on the earth, when God's having a conversation with Abraham about counting number of the stars. And then you got two that are really pretty neat too. I don't even know how to pronounce that. ETA, Karen A, you know, Etta. That one is 7,500 light years away. All right, let's think through this. The Earth is how many years old? Take a guess. You don't have to be super specific. 6,000, okay? Which means 4,000 BC. And this one is 7,500, so 1,500 light years further than the universe was created, right? Which means what? God creates. Remember, God's God, let there be what? Light. Light. Okay. When Adam, let me try to parallel it this way. When God created Adam, he's two seconds old. How old does he look? Adult. 20, 30, I don't know. Right? Um, appearance of age. Right? I have to think that when I look at this, this is this is not one of those things where the Big Bang says our universe is 14 billion years old. Right? What it tells me is that when God created that star, he'd already created what? Light in transit. You know? It's like you look at uh, Andromeda Galaxy, 2.5 million light years away. 2.5 million light years away. They're 6,000 years old. That means God creates that star, and he's already created light all the way along the path. He created stars the same way he did Adam with the maturity, the appearance of age. Isn't that crazy? You can go out, and if you want to try it, the app I use is Skyview. Literally last night, uh, I typed in uh, Beetlejuice and couldn't see it until 5.30. So I got up at 5.30, and I think I could sort of make it out. The sun was starting to come out. It's hard with some of the lights. But I can look at that star and see a star that was 1381, the light. I mean, it's pretty cool. And if you have a telescope, you can see stuff that's even further. How much power does a being like that have? Isn't that cool? I remember growing up, I went to church camp, and this guy, Dave Everson, um, would take the campers out and we'd lay down in a field in blankets and he would use his laser pointer. I guess, I don't know how that works. I mean, uh, he was pointing a laser pointer, I guess. I don't think you're supposed to do that to airplanes, but. Um, <laughs> so he would, he would point up and he'd say, this is this star and this is this star and this is this star. And I always thought it was cool, but I had no idea that they were this, that they were this far away. Does this not, for me, it brings a new meaning to Romans 120. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his what? Eternal. 
eternal power in Godhead, so they're without excuse. What kind of power does a being like that have? I'm gonna end. I'm gonna end early because I, I I don't really think there's anything I could for me that I could, I could take a top the stars. That that's just so cool to me. But I, I hear a lot of people say this. You know, I'd believe Jesus if He just showed me a miracle, right? If I just see a miracle, then I'd believe, right? And you remember, there are people that said that kind of thing to Jesus too, weren't there? The Pharisees and the scribes came to him, Matthew 12, and they said, "Hey, perform a sign." And Jesus said. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, right? And then he says, you know the sign you're going to get? You're not going to get a single sign except what? Sign of Jonah. Then he says, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He says, I'm going to give you one miracle. I mean, not that they couldn't have seen others. And that miracle was what? The resurrection. Isn't that incredible? They want to see miracles, and Jesus says, there's one miracle that I'm going to point you to which is better than all the rest. And that's the resurrection. I'm going to end early. Thanks for your attention. Thank you.